0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Surety Today. Surety Today is a live monthly call-in podcast presented by the Surety and Fidelity Law Group at Wright Constable and Skeen, located in the Mid-Atlantic region. Surety Today is offered to Surety Cleans professionals and is designed to keep you informed about important issues in the industry. Here is your host, Michael Stover.
1: Okay, well, welcome everyone to this edition of Surety Today. My name is Mike Stover, and I'm a partner in the Surety and Fidelity Law Group at Wright Council and Scheme, serving the Mid-Atlantic region. As usual, we like to uh, start off our episodes with a big thank you to all of our listeners and supporters of Surety Today. And uh, a reminder, of course, uh, as I do every month, uh, you'd be surprised. People I do this reminder every month, but people still like, oh, you know, I didn't know that. Uh, But you can listen to any one or all of our prior 91 episodes of Surety Today. We've been doing this since uh, 2016. Anytime, anywhere from any one of our multiple platforms, of course, on our website, the Surety Today page at wcslaw.com. And as a podcast at Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, I said to somebody the other day that they could just, you know, download one of the podcasts and they're like, oh, that's beyond my technical capabilities. And I said, all you have to do is go into Google and hit and put in Surety Today and they will all pop up and then you just kind of click on them and you're there. But uh, so far we've had over 12,000 downloads of our podcast, so uh, that sounds good. As always, we muted the line during the presentation to avoid any background noise and... We'll unmute the line at the end for any questions. Today uh, our topic is the pursuit of indemnity and post-judgment enforcement strategy. And our special guest uh, for this episode is Miss Jody Smith. She's the president and owner of JOMAX Recovery Services. Jody's been in the, the surety industry for more than 37 years. Uh, she got her start at Amwest Surety. Uh, while she was uh, pursuing her studies at Cal State at Northridge. She continued uh, building her surety bond claims and recovery skills uh, through her work with several other companies uh, before founding Jomax back in uh, 2004. Jomax is a a specialized niche uh, agency committed to recovery of surety losses and premium collections across the United States. Through Jomax, Jody has uh, utilized and leveraged her surety knowledge and experience to develop a nationwide network of attorneys uh, to pursue indemnity actions and enforce judgments. And the proof is in the pudding, as they say, because since its founding, Jomax has successfully recovered over $50 million for its surety clients. Uh, In in addition to pursuing collections, Jomax also performs asset investigations and provides uh, credit reporting services to surety clients as well. So, you know, you've got the the one-stop shopping convenience nationwide uh, for all of a surety's collection needs. Jody is uh, very well known and active in the surety industry, and, and like me, I'm sure that most of you have worked with her or crossed paths with her over the years. Just this past summer, Jody had the misfortune of being in my golf foursome at the Merchants Bonding Company charity golf outing. And despite my terrible golf skills, and it was hot that day, uh, uh, our group did fairly well because we, we had a, a basically a semi-pro uh, in our foursome who just basically carried us around the course the entire day. Uh, but, Jody, welcome, and thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for the warm introduction and for not putting <laughs> me in a tight spot about my golf skills, which, to put it mildly, are pretty me- mediocre at best. Yeah.
1: Additionally, yeah, I'm we, grateful we,
0: for the chance to participate
1: Go ahead, go ahead.
0: Can you hear me okay?
1: Yep, yep. I don't know if there's now. a
0: little bit of a delay. Okay. Well, I'm also grateful for the chance to participate in this podcast and excited about our conversation and optimistic we'll provide some value to our listeners today.
1: Yep, I'm sure we will. So, so let's get started. Um, based on your, you know, decades of experience, really, tell us uh, what are some of the keys that you have found, you know, to effective recovery efforts for the surety.
0: Well, over the years, many years, I've been in surety. I've seen sureties implement a number of different strategies. So there is no exact one right way to do this, but in some cases, I see claims professionals continue to pursue recovery uh, either in-house or they outsource and continue to monitor. In some cases, sureties decide to transfer their in-house or their recoveries to an in-house professional or a department to pursue. Uh, and in some cases, some choose to outsource most or all recovery matters. And any of those options are viable and, and good options to pursue. Uh, the main, the most important factor is just persistence, making sure that recovering the losses is a, a priority. Uh, you've you got to motivate these indemnitors to actually pay. I mean, they're not going to, you know, come to you to pay. You've got to go to them. So it's usually through typical collection efforts, such as frequent phone calls, letters, credit reporting. A filing suit, and then sometimes it, you know you've got to pursue post-judgment enforcement to finally collect. Again, it's all about you know motivating these people to to pay their debts. Um, another important factor is, is surety knowledge. You know, we all know as surety professionals. A lot of people out there really don't understand what we do. I mean, I'm sure you probably have friends who still say, you know, what is surety? I don't really understand your business. Um, I was just speaking to somebody at a Super Bowl gathering yesterday and, you know, mentioning surety bonds. He said, oh, I have a surety bond. But when I told them I collect on these bonds, the person was shocked because he thought it was an insurance policy. Uh So, you know, we've experienced that plenty of times. You call them, they think it's an insurance policy. Why do I need to pay the surety? So regardless of whether you have somebody in-house, in some cases there's in-house departments that don't specialize in surety. And it can be challenging for them to effectively collect if they can't explain to the indemnitors why they're on the hook uh, so yeah. so that's you know that's very important yeah that's a key um, I, also I, technology
1: oh go ahead i was going to say yeah i was going to say it, the, the, the surety knowledge is key because a lot of times you'll you'll run into the indemnitors who just simply don't understand and they and then when you explain it to them then they then they realize you know and they start to start to think about, okay, well, this is my obligation. I've got to take care of it. But a lot of people say, well, I wasn't involved with the business. You know, I, I just, you know, I, I, yeah, I signed that yeah. form, but I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't there day to day or whatever, and I'm like, that doesn't matter at all. <laughs> you know, you, you signed a contract and now you're and now you're on the hook. And, and even, even though with some of these collection agencies, I know that, you know, it's important for somebody in your position to, to understand surety. You mentioned sometimes Internally, some of the other departments might not have the surety knowledge, and you, you find that in some of the collection agencies too. They they don't understand subrogation, and they you know they'll look at this. They'll look at a document and they'll say, "Well, this doesn't really get us there." And I'm like, "That's because it's it's you're coming under subrogation. It's not in that document. You know, your rights aren't there. Your rights are yeah. over here." So, yeah. So that's a, that's so these are the keys that you you've sort of been dealing with. You mentioned uh, credit reporting. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. What accounts can be reported, and, and how is that
0: helpful? Sure. Credit reporting is extremely important. Um, fortunately, you know, if, if the surety has a personal signed indemnity agreement, those surety debts can be reported to the credit bureaus, and we do report them and find that it's extremely helpful to collecting, especially since most of the accounts, the, the great majority are smaller commercial accounts. These are accounts that are under, you know, the, the typical minimum threshold for suit. Um, and if you're not credit reporting on those accounts, you're, you're really going to be in a tough bind to try to, again, to motivate these indemnitors to actually pay. Uh, you know, it's key for people out there with their credit reporting or their credit reports in order to get credit, loans, and, of course, even bonding. So if you've had a surety loss, With one bond company, they're just going to go to another company to get another bond. But if they see, if the the next bond company pulls their credit and sees Joe Max Recovery on there, um, they're going to know that they've had a surety loss because we only report surety debts to the credit bureaus. So it's extremely important. And in fact, uh, even more so sometimes in judgments, which might seem kind of counterintuitive, why would someone care more about their credit report? than having a judgment. But in some cases, we'll be assigned a, a, an account that already has a judgment in place, but it'll be reporting the, the debt on their credit report that will actually motivate them to take care of it uh, because judgments are no longer reported on credit reports. So sometimes it, this is the only way to get that debt reported.
1: Now, one of the things, I, I wonder, do you, do you get a lot of pushback from the surety clients about suggesting credit reporting or are they open to that
0: Uh, most I don't think I have a single client that doesn't want them reported I think that it's very important to them they understand the 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 impact that reporting has and then they'll get the calls too so they do know that um, it's it's a key factor to collecting especially like I said on well it, it really is on any account any size because it motivates, again, even larger accounts where there might be a large judgment. Sometimes it's that credit reporting that is the key to getting them to finally settle.
1: Right, and, and, I, and I, I think it's worth saying, too, that, um, you know, a lot of times you'll, you, you'll have, um, you know, people, surety claims, people, whatever, being concerned about, you know, fair debt collection practices and all of that, but, you know, tell us,
0: Tell us about that. Sure. Um, and with the FTCPA, while FTCPA doesn't um, apply to commercial debts, again, you with, with credit reporting, you've got to comply with the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Um, so it is a, a quite a, for us, um, a bit of an intense process because debtors can easily dispute accounts online. They can just click a button and dispute, and they can dispute over and over again. So, uh, from our perspective, we do spend a, a tremendous amount of time responding to disputes, but uh, it's it's still worth it. You know, we've looked at the you know, is it worth all the time that's spent responding to these disputes? But uh, there's no question in my mind that it's it's well worth it.
1: Yeah, and that's probably another aspect of education. I'm sure you get people saying, you know, well, this, you know, that they're an individual and and therefore. These, 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 the fair debt collection practice that all that stuff applies to them, but it really doesn't because it's a commercial debt to begin with, so. All right, so we, you, you mentioned judgments, and of course, uh, you know, that's uh, that's something that's part of the whole collection process. Uh, so tell us what, what factors, you know, should be considered by a surety before they embark on the process?
0: Sure, well, it does uh, depend on quite a few factors. You know, to decide whether or not it's going to be worth spending the the money to go ahead and pursue an indemnity action um, first first and foremost is usually just setting a minimum threshold for suit uh, and every client i I work with is is a little bit different on this, but um, and again, if you're internal, you probably are setting a, a you know an internal threshold if you're gonna be outsourcing uh, and what are you going to consider as far as um, what? What value would the account need to be worth before you would pursue on an hourly as opposed to pursuing on a contingency? But for us, typically, about a minimum of 25 to 30000 is is the minimum threshold for pursuing on a contingency fee basis uh, because the costs, while they're relatively low, you're looking at advancing costs of anywhere from $750 to $1,000 to pursue an action. And even though those are returned first out of any recovery, you know, there's still those costs have to be considered. So first and foremost, you set a minimum amount. Um, and then you need to look at, uh, do an asset and liability review of your principal and indemnitors. So in this, again, you can perform this in-house. Uh, you can outsource and, and get an asset investigation performed. Again, it depends on the amount of the account and is it worth it to go to that extent. But well, in that review, you're going to be looking at, yes, right. we you, do that. You we do that on, on both an outsource basis when clients are just looking for an asset report. And then when we're handling an account internally and we're evaluating whether or not to recommend suit to a client, that's just part of our standard procedure to recommend suit. So that review is going to include looking for active business interests, properties, look at their credit report, what kind of you know, issues are they having or do they have group credit, Uh, What type of equity do they have in their property or properties? Outstanding judgments, tax liens, and employment. So all those need to be looked at. And then you also need to consider, uh, you know, what type of disputes. Are there any disputes on the file? You know, if you've got some really complex disputes, that may warrant, you know, working with an experienced surety attorney on an hourly basis, certainly if you've got a, you know, a more complex, higher-dollar account, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we're also seeing a lot more um, ID theft disputes, particularly on the EMC 84 surety bonds, uh, typically known as UCC broker bonds. And in the past, these disputes used to be frivolous, but we are seeing more and more that are, unfortunately, um, legitimate disputes. So, again, yeah, this well, is like something else example? you want to consider, whether or not...
1: What's an example
0: of that? So we're seeing, um, you know, these bad actors that realize they can get a $75,000 bond very soon after the bond is issued, like, you know, could be within 30 days assured, you'll get a run-up of claims. Um, typically these, you know, could be fraudulent claims or or maybe it's legitimate claims, but the person who got the bond is not actually the, indemnitor, they've stolen somebody else's ID. And in mm-hmm. some of the warning signs of this is you'll see a business that's let's say in New York, but your indemnitor is an elderly person in California that has no experience with this type of business, so um, I know that my clients are much more aware of this issue and are trying to do more on the underwriting side to, to avoid these situations in the future.
1: Yeah, I know that there's been sort of a, a push by some companies to have these, these sort of like, I don't know, like minimal, you know, minimal underwriting, you know, in, in, in minimal interactions with the people getting the bonds. They, they get them online or that kind of thing and and it seems to me like those are gonna be wide open for that kind of, of uh of fraud really.
0: Right. I and I think that's that is what sort of has attributed to that trend and and now there's, you know, more focus to try to, to try to prevent that, you know, these people out there just, I guess, got wise to this potential avenue to, uh, to get out a $75,000 bond. Yeah. Um, And and other things to look at, you you also want to consider post-judgment enforcement limitations. So are you dealing with a state that has, um, you know, like Texas or Florida where it's, it's, you know, you can't pursue their homestead, uh, so these are also factors that need to be considered. It doesn't necessarily exclude those states from pursuing, you know, litigation, but um, those post-judgment enforcement limitations should be part of that overall evaluation. And then ultimately, you, you you take these factors together and decide do you want to pursue, and if you are going to pursue, what makes the most sense? You want to pursue this on an hourly basis, um, contingency, or a hybrid. So. Those are, again, going to depend on all those prior factors I just mentioned.
1: And does your company um, does your company do the services uh, the collection of services on these you know hourly contingent or hybrid basis?
0: So typically we'll take we may take over uh, a judgment that our client has already obtained on an hourly, um, but most of our efforts are I would say pretty much all of them are are done on a contingency uh, basis where we'll hire the collection attorney in that state, then our fee includes their contingent collection fee. Um, or in some cases, we might have a flat fee arrangement with a particular attorney if we're just looking at domesticating a judgment from one state to another. So typically, those are, are relatively low. I'd say probably about 500 to 1000 to domesticate a judgment. But the rest are, are handled on a contingency.
1: All right. Do you, I've heard of this in Maryland. Uh, you know, there's no issue with confessed judgments, but some some of the indemnity agreements that I've seen for some of the companies have confessed judgment provisions. Do you have any? Have you experienced any issues with trying to enforce those in other jurisdictions?
0: Yes, those are are often very difficult to enforce because each state's going to have their own uh, statutes regarding whether or not those are enforceable. And often that confession of judgment, maybe it's imposing a certain venue in a certain location, um, but if they have property you know, where they reside, I mean, most likely you're going to have to pursue or want to pursue that lawsuit in that jurisdiction. So, um, and then you may not be able to enforce that confession of judgment provision. It, it really depends state by state. It's certainly worth um, asking the question and finding out if it's enforceable, because if it is, then you're going to be able to shortcut um, you know, a lot of your efforts by implementing it
1: yeah uh what what post judgment uh, enforcement strategies do you find you know are, are more successful for for surety?
0: i think the most important strategy is actually to pursue post-judgment enforcement <laughs> i i see often uh you know it's the focus is on getting the judgment um, and then sometimes at that point it's especially if it's it's challenging, especially if you're pursuing on an hourly basis. You've spent all this money, you finally have your judgment, and and now you you say, okay, let's go ahead and, you know, record the judgment against the property or properties that they own and then we'll wait for those properties to sell and then we'll collect our money. But I mean we've been doing this for it, I mean, just with Joe Max for twenty years and we've seen some of these judgments sit on properties for 10, 15 plus years. So it's still not sometimes a motivator for these people to, to pay, especially these days where you know, you've, if you have a 2.5% interest rate, you're probably not in a hurry to sell or refinance. So essentially, then you just have a piece of paper. You have your judgment sitting there and you're waiting. Um, and of course, you know, working on a contingency, we're motivated to, you know, we, wanna, we want the money. We don't just want the piece of paper. So uh, this is where I really encourage um, maybe not taking your, your foot off the gas just yet, but you know, keep going and pursue post-judgment enforcement. Some of the easy, um, easier processes would be just to try to find a bank or a brokerage account and serve a levy on, on that. And we've had tremendous success with, uh, with bank levies especially. Um, and you might find this information, in fact, we had one last year. Where we got the bank information from PPP loan data, which is publicly available, and it was actually a pretty old judgment. So I guess we caught them by surprise, and, and it was a $140,000 bank hit. So right. there's definitely real money to be, yeah, <laughs> it's out there. You you know go through your underwriting files. It's great when we get a you know bond application that has banking information and account numbers. We love that, um, and we go through everything so we're we're always looking going through credit reports anything we have to find banking information then there are also vendors out there that will do the searches and they're usually pretty reasonable too
1: yeah i have a so, um, I had a case i had a case years ago where where the the lawyer for the other side was you know was basically taunting us saying you know you'll you'll never get this judgment you'll never collect from these guys and we searched around and found a bank account and we hit it with a garnishment. And it was, it was sitting there full of money that they were going to use for their holiday bonus for the staff at this law firm. It was a, it was a judgment against the law firm. And, and uh, yeah, that guy, I never heard anybody so mad when they called when we hit that bank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ouch. That's,
0: that's what that's he gets. That's, that's karma. Your timing was <laughs> fortuitous. <laughs> yeah that and that's a key too. Sometimes you might have old judgments out there collecting desk and and it could be time to to you know take those out and and take another look and see or or try a bank garnishment. Um, wage garnishments are also a strong motivator uh and people use social media so LinkedIn is a great place to find uh, current employment for people uh, credit reports um And a lot of my clients, you know, they use subscription services like Accurate, which we also use. So, um, you know, that's an effective means. Of course, it's going to depend state by state. Some states have very generous exemptions for wage garnishments or don't allow them. So uh, you do need to consider where you can pursue wage garnishments. Um, And then my, really my favorite (laughs) is actually forcing sales on your property levies. You've, you've got a levy on a property, well, you really should take the next step and see if it's worth forcing the sale on that property. Um, you're going to have to consider your state and local requirements, but um, these are extremely successful. If you've Once you've done the evaluation you identify a property that you can pursue a, a forced sale on, uh, our success rate on these is over 90%. I mean, if we recommend it and we go through the process and find that uh, the property has the equity, it's not fully encumbered, that there is there's something there to cover the judgment. Uh, typically, they don't even go to sale. You, you're going to have the ultimate motivation and your debtor is going to finally take care of it. And that's been our experience on, on these. And we've done quite a few of them, I'd say over the past five years. I mean, one of them, I think we, we covered a $500,000 judgment. So, so it was, otherwise it would have just, the judgment would have just sat there. Until who yeah, knows, that's really,
1: that's really great. I, I got to say, am my am uh 32 years of experience? I've never really gone that step in, in, uh, and and, and, and put the, and put the property on the, on the, on the you know, foreclosure or, or for sale. But a lot of times there's no equity there. That's, that's part of it. And, you know, you got one, two, three mortgages on it, but, but that's uh that's a, a pretty high uh, success rate, 9%. That's that's tremendous.
0: Yeah, it's just identifying those properties that fit. Everything works out, and it makes sense. And, um, you know, with property values going up so much, you know, these past 10 years, uh, I think that's been the key to the success in a lot of these judgments that we've had. Uh, some of them were, you know, were quite old, but the property's values had increased so much that it made it worthwhile. So. Again, that's where I'd really encourage anyone out there, if you've got judgments that you're sitting on, and, and maybe it didn't make sense to pursue this before, uh, it's good to take a look at those you know, on an annual basis, and of course continue to monitor until those ju- judgments come up for renewal. So if they do come up for renewal, you don't want to let that go. You want to get those renewed. And sometimes you know that could be done, um, again, on a flat fee basis, so pretty inexpensively. And then that's a good time, to again, to take another look. And see what you can try is it worth trying a bank garnishment or pursuing the property um, and yep. and then lastly there oh are we running out of time here? no go
1: ahead yeah go, go
0: ahead i was gonna see what probably one last thing i could say is some states are there are other options to pursuing post-judgment enforcement and in particular texas which is a very difficult state to collect and you know, I know a lot of clients You kind of say, oh, no, this is Florida or it's Texas, so it's going to be impossible. But um, even in Texas, they, they have a, an interesting option where you can request the court appoint a receiver to liquidate the assets of the debtor. Um, and we've done this several times or quite a few times that it's been successful. It's still a difficult state to collect, but uh, it's kind of a unique option that is available in Texas. So all hope is not lost. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that sounds cool. I I know one I know one of my guys uh, doing collection work has used a body attachment to try to get people to you know to uh, to respond to post judgment um, you know discovery and all of that and that gets people's attention when you have the sheriff out there the with a warrant. <laughs> right. Well, I, Jody, I, I really appreciate you joining us and uh, and sharing your insights and all your experience and knowledge in this area. I know it's something that. That every surety company has uh, to grapple with, and uh, and uh, again, very very appreciative of you joining us today. But I gotta close out now. We're we're at the end of our time. Um, before I open up the line for any questions, just again, want to thank everybody for joining us. And and uh, uh, the next episode of Surety Today will be on Monday, March 11th. Uh, of course, at 12:30. And then some upcoming events in the surety world that that uh, that I'm aware of is the the, the next. Philadelphia Surety Claims Association lunch meeting will be on February 21st, and our speaker uh, in Philadelphia, of course, and our speaker will be Rich Tasker with Sage Associates, and he's gonna be talking about the state of the surety and construction industries. That's always a really great presentation, Uh, so if you can join us for that, uh, I think you can sign up on on the website for the PSCA. The uh, invitations for the 35th annual Southern Surety and Fidelity Claims Conference have just gone out. I got mine uh, the other day, um, and the conference is going to be held this year on April 24th through the 26th in uh, Clearwater, Florida. Uh, if you didn't get an invite, let me know uh, or contact anyone at ForCon, and we'll get you one so you can uh, you can go to that conference. It's a great conference; a lot of good. Uh, firms, uh, you know, co-sponsor that that, that uh, conference, and of course Clearwater, <laughs> basically, you know, it's uh, basically paradise over there. So, uh, but go to our uh, Surety Today blog website uh, at uh, wcsslaw.com, and you can see a calendar uh, of all the Surety events. Uh, thanks again to everyone. Now I'm going to unmute the line. See if we have any questions uh, for Jody. Hello, any questions out there? It's not unusual, Jody. We we we, we <laughs> offer question periods, but a lot of times we don't get many or any. But it's no reflection on the quality of of your presentation.
0: Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate uh, being able to do this presentation with you, Mike.
1: Okay. Thank you again. Uh, appreciate it, and uh, can't wait for the next time when we'll be able to retain Joe Max to help us out on some of these collection stuff issues. All right, everybody. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you next month. Take care.
0: Hey, okay, Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Surety Today. Audio recordings and white papers from prior episodes are available on the Surety Today page of the Wright, Constable & Skeen website, at wcslaw.com backslash surety dash today.